0: So it costs, and I think that's important for us in this sense, that as parents, for most of us here, grandparents, some maybe being parents one day, uh, the influence that we have, even if somebody doesn't even have children, they can have influence on other people. The things that we do in this life matter, and it can impact future generations.
1: Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word.
0: This is what attracted me the most out of this chapter, God who has fed me all my life long to this day. It stood out to me in this chapter, Jacob lived to be 147 years old. So he did have a very long life, especially compared to the number of days that we have on this earth. Even with all of our technology, we can't get to the longevity of the early patriarchs in the Old Testament. But he was not saying that his life was perfect. He told Pharaoh in Genesis 47, 9, that few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. God had been with him all the days of his life. God had fed him all the days of my life, but there had been some tough times during his life. And yet God still provided for him. When I think about this, I, at this point, you might look at me and say, yeah, it's true, John. God truly has fed you all the days of your life. And it looks like my doc i was at the doctor this week he said you knock off 10 or 15 pounds you'd probably be in pretty good shape it's like all right doc yeah i'm being fed too well but god has provided me to this day and it's been an encouragement to me there's been times where i've been studying in school and reading about recessions that our nation have went through and i I just this week posted about the recessions in the 1970s and the early 80s, and I was alive during all those things, but I was working in the early 80s, and for a period, there was no work to be had, not for bricklayers, because it kind of bottomed out everything from industry to the housing market. We lost it all, and so nobody was building new stores, no new factories, no homes, And until the factory started producing again and people went back to work that they could afford to buy new homes again and that's kind of how it reversed we started working at factories first and then we started working in the homes that came afterwards because provision was there again so I've known times where uh, we didn't have a lot and I often have said in times past that I think it it had been healthy for Lily and I in some ways because we knew that this breadwinner as a brick mason would have some lean months in the winter time. Might not get any work at all or maybe just some work. And so we had to learn to live on little. But no matter, God has brought us through. When I looked at, you know, you get the Social Security statements now of, uh, it shows your annual earnings every year. And uh, that time during the early 80s or mid 80s, it was a pretty uh, low earning year. But then when I went out to Calvert Chapel, Costa Mason, I was working as a janitor there. I actually made less money than when I was a bricklayer and mostly out of work. And so I was working full time then, made less money, and yet still God brought us through. And we had just gifts from the Lord that helped to provide for our family during that time. Also, the Lord had raised me in a Christian home. I came to faith in Jesus Christ at an early age. And Lily came to faith in Jesus before we were married, which meant that once we were married, we continued We continued our devotion to the Lord. We spent one week away from church during that honeymoon period. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't go anywhere for like seven years, but uh, no honeymoon for John and Lily at that time. But the next week we were in church. We were serving our children. I was raised going to church. They came to faith early in Jesus Christ. And now we are watching our grandchildren also come to faith. And when I wrote these words earlier this morning, I had not yet learned that Ayanna was going to be baptized today. And so that's checking off the list. All the grandkids now, all receiving Jesus. What a blessing. I sent this scripture to someone yesterday. Two verses of scripture, and I just I texted them. They're going through a hard time, and I said, this has always meant a lot to me, and it's 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, which says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. And through the years, I've learned as a young man in my 20s, that's when 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 came into my memory. And I, it was like an easy memory verse for me then. Because during that time, I learned to not only humble myself before the Lord, but to cast all my cares upon the Lord as well. And what a blessing it is to have a hope in Jesus. And may he love and feed us all the days of our lives. Every day that he gives us, may we desire to live for his glory. Well, we get into chapter 49 and we have Israel blessing his 12 sons. And he goes through the list of the 12. So now this does not include Ephraim and Manasseh. They actually become replacement sons for a couple of bad boys that we'll learn about here in a moment. So chapter 49, um, if I were going to pick key verses, of course it would have to be, it start in my Bible, uh, Genesis 49 verse 10, and the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet Until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. So a messianic prophecy given to Judah, which we'll learn about in a moment. So verses 1 and 2 tells us, And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob. And listen to Israel, your father. So he's using both his names. Jacob, heel catcher. You sons of the heel catcher, gather around here and listen to Israel, man governed by God. What he has to say that will befall you in the last days. So this is prophetic words being spoken over his sons. I can't say that we all have this ability to prophetically speak over someone but israel had this ability at this point to reuben as he prophesied over reuben verses three and four he said reuben you are my firstborn my might and the beginning of my strength the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power unstable as water you shall not excel Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So the firstborn of Israel, the son of Leah, his actually technically his first wife, and her firstborn son, Reuben, he should have had succeeded his father as head over the family. He should have received the blessing and the double portion. But, He committed adultery by taking one of his father's wives. It was the handmaid Bilhah that was uh, Rachel's maid when she was first married to Jacob. And then when she was unable to bear children, she gave Jacob her handmaid Bilhah. And she bore two sons to Jacob at that time. But Reuben took advantage of her. He called him being unstable. It refers to a person who is without control, without self-control or discipline. And so they are unstable. They cannot be counted on. And listen to the the promise, that which was his in verse 3. He said, you're my firstborn. You're my might, the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, the excellency of power these were the things that ought to have belonged to reuben but dad said you're as unstable as water you shall not excel and the reason why because he committed adultery with his own father's wife not his mother but remember jacob had four wives Genesis 35, 21, and 22, it tells us, Then Israel journeyed, pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and laid with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. So at this point, nothing more is said in the Bible about this event, but in the last days, Israel lets. Reuben have it. Maybe he had earlier too. But he said you will not excel because of this. Israel's prophecy over Simeon and Levi. He combines them together in verses 5 and 7. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So Simeon, Jacob's second son, and Levi, his third son, both the mothers, was Leah. They took their sword, they killed all the males of Shechem, because the son of Hamer, Shechem his name, had sexual relations with their sister, Dinah. And although God called them to be instruments of his righteousness, this is what I believe we should all, as believers in Jesus Christ, be instruments of righteousness. They had become instruments of cruelty. And by the second census, In Genesis 26 and 27, Simeon and Levi became the two smallest tribes in the nation of Israel. Therefore, they were divided and scattered throughout the nation of Israel. As Simeon would uh, find their inheritance within the children of Judah, as we learn in Joshua 19.1, and the Levites were, because they became the priestly line, They had no inheritance, but they were given 48 cities throughout all the land of Israel and the land around the cities, of course. We learned that in Joshua 21, 41 and 42. I was looking at the census and it's interesting, the tribe of Levi, the tribe of Levi, they really, the first and second census, we won't get to this until we get to Numbers chapter 1. And Numbers chapter 26, as we go through these, Levi really stayed about the same in the first census and the second census. They numbered uh, in the first census 22,000 plus, in the second census 23,000 even. So, really, um, from one generation to the next, and that's the two census, they remained the same. But Simeon went from 59,300 in the first census to 22,200 in the second census. They went from a powerful tribe in the nation of Israel to a very small one of the smallest tribes. In fact, in census numbers, they became the smallest tribe in the nation of Israel. Their brother Levi or the Levites next to them at 23,000. So it costs and I think that's important for us in this sense, that as parents, for most of us here, grandparents, some maybe being parents one day, uh, the influence that we have, even if somebody doesn't even have children, they can have influence on other people. And uh, the things that we do in this life matter, and it can impact future generations. And what happened with Simeon and Levi and although God blessed the tribe of Levi and the priestly line came out of them, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, all coming out of that tribe, still the sins of the father, although God doesn't hold the children to an account, still the sins of the father can have a great impact upon their children. And especially seen with Simeon, going from a powerful tribe, Those numbers are pretty impressive, from 59,000 to 22,000 in one generation. Israel prophesies over Judah in verses 8 through 12. Judah was Jacob's and Leah's fourth son. And with the birth of each son, Leah gave names to them, but also she desired it was kind of like, perhaps now my husband will love me. Perhaps now I've given him four sons. But by the time she gets to Judah, she simply calls his name praise. I think she had at this point given up on trying to win the love, the affection of Jacob. In Genesis twenty-nine thirty-five, it says she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. And so Judah's blessing, we find a wonderful prophecy of Jesus. Up to this point, the promise of God had been passed from Abraham to Isaac, from Isaac to Jacob. And now God reveals that through the lineage of Judah, the Messiah would come. In verses 8 through 12, we read, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion, as a lion. Who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people binding his donkey to the vine, his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments with wine and his clothes with the blood of grapes. His eyes were darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah, your lion's whelp. And this became kind of a, a symbol for the nation of Judah, the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it really speaks about the descendants, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Messianic prophecy, but also that the kingly line would come, the scepter and the lawgiver, the kingly line would come uh, through Judah, ultimately coming through David and his lineage after him. And this is why it's important for those who around Christmas will rehearse these things again, but Jesus was from the right tribe, the tribe of Judah, from the right lineage within the tribe. Uh, descendant of David. These two things are very important. So you can't have a Messiah. According to scripture. That comes from any other tribe. And does not come from David himself. Jesus fit these qualifications. Shiloh means tranquility. Or rest giver. And the scepter and the lawgiver Shall not depart from until shiloh comes until the rest giver comes and it's only through jesus christ that we can find true rest for our souls although the donkey's colt reminds us of the first coming it's also a sign of peace during the reign of a king if a king was riding a mule or a donkey it meant that their nation was at peace but it reminds us that jesus first came in peace but he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes maybe referring to yes the cross and the blood that he shed there but ultimately his conquering arm at his second coming. Isaiah 33:22 tells us for the Lord is our judge the Lord is our lawgiver the Lord is our king and he shall save us. Well as he prophesied over Zebulun Verse 13, he says, Zublin shall dwell by the haven of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be adjoined to sit on. So Zublin, Leah's sixth son, we have skipped one so far, but Leah's sixth son, he was actually the tenth son of Jacob. And there's not a lot of information given to him His name meant dwelling. We learned that in Genesis 30, verse 20. And the prophecy speaks that Zublin will become a haven for the sea, but he was actually, if you look at the uh, 12 tribes of Israel, he was landlocked. He didn't connect to the Mediterranean Sea. He wasn't connected to the Sea of Galilee either. He was in the northern region of that area. So some commentators believe that this may be talking about the millennial reign of Christ. Something had not yet taken place. That of Issachar, in verse 14, Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. Verse 15, he saw that rest was good and that the land was pleasant and he bowed his shoulder to bear a burden and became a band of slaves. Issachar was Jacob's ninth son, the fifth son birthed to him by Leah. And although Many mighty men came from his descendants. It appears that they could easily lie down to rest, uh, they could bend down, bow down to the labor, but they would ultimately be led into enslavement. And this caused me to think about Exodus 23:30. For all the tribes of Israel, when they came into the promised land, God had said, Exodus 23:30, little by little I will drive them out before you, and you shall have increase, and you inherit the land. Little by little. God said, I won't drive them out all at once, but little by little as you strengthen yourself. And I think perhaps for Ishishar, they were strong. And maybe at the beginning, they began to uh, claim the land of their territory that was allotted to them. But then they got lazy, they laid down, and ultimately it led to their captivity. I think God sets before us a path sometimes that is ours to claim if we just continue to go forward and to walk forward. And sometimes we might get lazy and you know, just kind of lay down and, and we don't accomplish the things that the Lord would have for us because of that. Let's go ahead and stand. We have Revelation 22 on Sunday and Genesis 50 next Wednesday, Lord willing, we'll get through these two. And since we have one chapter left in the book of Genesis, I thought I would do kind of a overview of some of the key uh, sections of the book of Genesis to kind of wrap it up for us this next Wednesday. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you have given us tonight, just going through these prophecies and many of these, Lord, if not all, but many of them, Lord, we have seen fulfilled. Some uh, through history, the history of the nation of Israel themselves. And the one there, Genesis 49, verse 10, that talked about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Lord, you are the line of the tribe of Judah. You are Shiloh. The peace giver the rest giver and I pray father that you would give rest to souls Lord that are troubled Lord Jesus that you would give rest tonight may they cling to you that they might find that rest first and foremost Lord we understand that that rest comes through faith in Jesus Christ belief in his work upon the cross his death burial and resurrection from the grave by receiving Jesus as their savior. But also in this life, Lord, you can give us rest as we go through life. So I pray, Father, your hand to be upon us. Bless us, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace.